Welcome to Policy Outsider, presented by the Rockefeller Institute of Government. I'm Alex Morse. On May 11, 2023, the Public Health Emergency, or PHE, that waived various regulations designed to ensure more flexibility in the delivery of health care and access to health systems during the pandemic will expire, including the flexibility that helped provide continuous Medicaid coverage for millions of people in the United States. In anticipation of the expiration of the public health emergency, Congress passed legislation in late 2022 called the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2023 that decoupled the public insurance coverage provisions from the larger public health emergency. Public insurance programs included such services as Medicaid, the Children's Health Insurance Program, and other health programs sometimes known as the Essential Plan or Basic Health Plan. To prepare for the expiration of the public health emergency, all states are required to develop a plan for unwinding the automatic continuous health coverage provisions that had previously been in place. To explore how New York is approaching the public health insurance unwinding, Courtney Burke, Senior Fellow for Health Policy at the Rockefeller Institute of Government, will be joined by three health experts at various New York State agencies that are working in concert to inform New Yorkers on the pending changes to health coverage and ensure that everyone entitled to Medicaid will keep their benefits and services uninterrupted. Coming up next. Welcome to Policy Outsider, presented by the Rockefeller Institute of Government. I'm Courtney Burke, Senior Fellow for Health Policy at the Rockefeller Institute. Today's episode will focus on New York's unwinding of its public health emergency, how it will impact health coverage for millions of New Yorkers, and what the state is doing to prepare for the impending shift for health insurance coverage. To help us break it all down, we are joined today by Amir Basiri, Deputy Commissioner and Medicaid Director at the New York State Department of Health, Daniel Hollihan, Executive Director at New York State of Health, and Lisa Sabrana, Director of the Division of Eligibility and Marketplace Integration at the New York State Department of Health. Thank you all for being here today and welcome. Now, Medicaid is such an important program. Um, coverage is a vital part of the state's overall insurance coverage. We've previously done a podcast with Amir about this, uh, who is the state's Medicaid Director, which highlighted some facts about the number of people who rely on public health insurance coverage programs, which is over 8 million people, so very significant program. Danielle, I think with this first question, we'd like to start with you. Can you break down how many people are currently covered under which programs? Absolutely. Um, our coverage levels in the state are at historic highs. Um, we have 7.7 million people enrolled through the Medicaid program, and that is both through the New York State of Health Marketplace and through local district offices. So 5.3 million of the 7.7 are enrolled through New York State of Health, and 2.4 million are enrolled through the local district social services offices. Then we have an additional 1.1 million people enrolled in our state's basic health program, which we call the essential plan here. And then we have 380,000 enrolled in the state's Child Health Plus program. So altogether, uh, over 9 million people enrolled in these programs. Wow. Very significant. Um, tell us a little bit more about New York's state of health, what it is, what its role is in the public health unwinding policy discussions. Sure. So New York State of Health is New York's official health plan marketplace. We're authorized in the Federal Affordable Care Act. 
uh, and we we were established in 2012. So New York has designed its marketplace as a fully integrated marketplace that's across public and commercial insurance products. So we uh, enroll individuals in Medicaid, Essential Plan, Child Health Plus, and Qualified Health Plans with and without subsidies. It's really a one-stop shop for insurance coverage. Consumers come to us. Uh, we determine their eligibility for programs. They're displayed a set of plan options, and they enroll in coverage. So that's New York State of Health in a nutshell. Why we're and how we're relevant to the public health emergency unwind, about 83% of the individuals who will need to be redetermined have their coverage through New York State of Health. So we're a big piece of the unwind. Um, and I think one thing, as I mentioned, the integrated structure, what sets us up well for the unwind is that, as we always do, when we redetermine somebody's eligibility, if they've become eligible for one of our other programs, we can seamlessly enroll them into that program. And if they'd like, they can even stay with the same insurer. So that's a really nice feature of an integrated marketplace. The other thing about New York State of Health is that more than 99% of our applications get a real-time eligibility determination. So there's some really nice features of New York's marketplace, and I think that will set us up well for this unwind effort. Uh, some of the other things that we've been doing to prepare, we've been working to update our eligibility and enrollment systems. We need to go back to the rules as they were before. Uh, we were in this COVID uh, continuous coverage period, uh, and we've been doing a lot around our communications efforts to make sure people are, are ready and are aware of what's coming. So just that's you know how New York State of Health is involved. Yeah, and this is probably one of the most important things that New York State of Health has been involved in with this current um, unwinding since the inception of the New York State of Health. So I wanted to talk a little bit more about the unwinding. The federal government is having the state go back to regularly requiring that individuals prove their eligibility for coverage for these programs, that a lot of that was waived during the pandemic. So I know the state is doing this redetermination in waves, and I, I think our listeners would value knowing a little bit more what that time frame looks like and what the process is from start to end and how it will be rolled out. So I think, Lisa, you you probably are the best person because you're the most involved in the day-to-day -day on this type of thing. Sure. Um, so the state, or New York rather, is taking the maximum amount of time allowed uh, to conduct the rollout. It'll take about a year to renew everyone in the three programs in their coverage. And the way we're uh, basing the rollout is really um, going back to when somebody was determined eligible. Uh, eligibility is based on a 12-month cycle normally. Um, during the public health emergency, of course, no one has had to redetermine their eligibility. So the redetermination process will take place across the state based on the month of uh, when eligibility uh, for coverage ends. So we're starting with the first end dates will be June 30th of 2023. So if anybody has eligibility end dates prior to June 30th, they will continue to be extended for 12 months, just as they have been during the entire public health emergency. And the first group who will um, need to respond to an eligibility uh, packet will be in June. 
I think that's really important information for listeners because people are unsure exactly when they might be at risk of losing their coverage. And it's not going to be April 1st. Uh, it's not going to happen no. in the soonest and not for everybody until June. So that was very helpful clarification. So I know that the, the state has worked to link information about people who are currently on these programs and who may be eligible going forward with other data sources to make the determination of eligibility much quicker and automated. Can you tell us a little bit more about how that works and what data is being used to make those determinations? So as Danielle was saying, uh, you know, in New York State of Health, We've worked really hard to uh, make sure that we have the easiest process uh, available to individuals. And part of that process is hitting up against federal and state data sources. So what, if someone is employed, we can see their employment data. They don't have to provide that to us. If individuals have social security uh, retirement or disability income, that is also available to us. Unemployment data will be is also uh, regularly available to us. On the district side, so if an individual is eligible because they are over the age of 65 or um, because of a disability, on that side also we have access to um, information with, from Social Security and also pensions. Um, so if that income doesn't change, those individuals will be automatically uh, determined their eligibility will be automatically determined. As a, an additional um, easement uh, for the process, we're also looking or working with the federal government to utilize SNAP data um, so that individuals who are in that program, uh, whether they're enrolled through New York State of Health or enrolled through a local district, if they also have SNAP, we are um, looking to have the ability to match up against that data and also not require those individuals to have to do anything. So we're trying to automatically redetermine as many people as possible if we have the data sources to do that. That's really great. It makes it easier for both sides if you have that data already. But I know there will be instances where there may not be a good source to help automatically determine eligibility. So in those instances, I'm curious about what process will be used and whether counties will be involved as they sometimes have been in the past with helping determine that eligibility? Yes, so on um, both in, in both systems, whether the individual is enrolled through a local district or they're enrolled through New York State of Health, if we can't verify their income based on data sources, they'll receive a notice letting them know that they need to come back. So on the district side, that notice will ask individuals to attest to their income and send that attestation form back to the district. Um, and then the district will determine their eligibility. On the New York State of Health side, um, the notice asks people to come back to their account and complete that information. Um, and when I say that people need to come back, they don't need to come back themselves. We um, have thousands, literally thousands of assisters across the state available and um, accessible to individuals to help them through the process. That's great. It sounds like you're well positioned both with automated processes and with real people to help with these processes going forward. I want to take a step back a little bit and think about the financial impact. So I know we've talked about eligibility and what it's like from the consumer point of view when this is all going to take effect. But with the start of the public health emergency, 
states were given a financial incentive to provide this coverage to begin with and do it continuously. Now it looks like that funding is going to phase down. So Amir, as the as the keeper of the state Medicaid program who looks at these finances, can you tell us a little bit more about the time frame for the wind down and what the financial incentives will look like going forward? Absolutely. Um, and just to build off what you shared, Courtney, it is true since uh, the onset of the public health emergency going back to January of 2020, the state has received uh, 6.2% of increased federal match on the Medicaid program um, as a condition of the continuous coverage requirements that we've maintained uh, leading up to the unwind. So in December of last year, the federal government, or Congress, I should say, passed the Consolidated Appropriations Act, which effectively uh, outlined what that based financial incentive would be. Previously, it had been assumed that when the unwind started, that 6.2% went away in one fell swoop. Uh, what Congress did was they delinked the continuous coverage requirement from the public health emergency and offered a quarterly phase down of the 6.2% through the end of this year. So beginning uh, April 1st of this year or the till June 30th, that 6.2% uh, goes to 5%. And then in the subsequent quarter, July to September, the 5% goes to 2.5%. To and in the last quarter of this calendar year, October to December, 2.5% goes to one and a half. And then starting January of 2024, there is no more enhanced federal funding, even though we will still be in the unwind process. As, as Lisa mentioned uh, earlier, that will end for New York in May of 2024. But we do get this nine-month period of uh, phase-down enhanced federal funding, uh, which is very much uh, appreciated and needed uh, given the size of the Medicaid uh, enrollment and the length of time it will take us to fully complete the unwind. That's helpful, I, helpful to know. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I wanted to add, there are conditions um, to receive this enhanced phase down federal funding. And that was also outlined in this federal bill that Congress passed in December. The conditions are essentially that the state must be in compliance with eligibility redeterminations as outlined in the law and may include some temporary flexibility um, that the federal government would provide to ensure that we are in compliance with every rule, and those are called E-14 waivers. We also need to make sure that we attempt to ensure that we have the most up-to-date contact information for our members, including the mailing address, phone numbers, um, emails, and we are not allowed to disenroll any individual um, based on return mail or procedural disenrollments. We are required to make a good faith effort to contact the individual and use all the modalities available to us to ensure that a member receives the information about the renewal and uh, we can't disenroll them for procedural reasons. So there are some conditions of, of receiving this funding that we have no, no concerns about meeting and the maintenance of effort that was established under the initial law is still in place, though no reduction to benefits uh, or limits to services during the calendar year. 
Well, that brings up a, a good point and a concern about people who may lose coverage. And you've already explained how much you're doing to automatically keep people enrolled by looking at different data sets and seeing if they still would qualify. Also, outreach at the ground level to people about the eligibility. But I am wondering, and it may be hard to project this, but I'm sure that that you have, how many people are expected to lose coverage because they no longer qualify, which is obviously different from the number of people that just forget, are unaware that they're supposed to do some type of eligibility redetermination. So what are the numbers look like um, in terms of people potentially losing coverage? And, and I know you're doing a lot to minimize that, but tell us more about that. Right. So out of the um, 8 million people that we will be redetermining, we're anticipating that about 100,000 of them could become uninsured. Some of them could become uninsured because they're no longer eligible. So when we say no longer eligible right now, what we've been doing is maintaining individuals with coverage who normally wouldn't be maintained. So for example, individuals who have um, third-party coverage, so other coverage through an employer or a coverage through um, Medicare. We have had easements in place that maintain those individuals in their managed care plan during this process. So individuals with um, employer-based insurance, many of them, um, the, if they are still eligible, then Medicaid would wrap around that coverage, so those folks would still be eligible with us but it's expected that a number of them will no longer be Medicaid eligible. And for the other programs, employer-based insurance is minimum essential coverage, which makes them actually ineligible for those other, um, those other type forms of coverage. So that's actually the largest group is there's an expectation that there's a certain percentage of that 100,000 who actually have employer-based coverage and are no longer, would no longer be eligible for one of our programs because of that. Some people will also, sorry, as Amir was saying, um, you know, during the unwind we, or, or during the public health emergency, we of course haven't disenrolled anyone, but during the unwind after the mitigation period is over, if people don't respond to their renewal, that could be another reason why someone isn't found eligible. So it will be really important that folks respond to those notices. That's that's great to know. And along those lines, I remember when the insurance exchange was originally launched, the New York State of Health, um, the marketing that went into that to make sure people knew that this was a new program. So this time around, you definitely are looking to do the same. So what type of public education and marketing and outreach is planned now to help minimize the number of people losing coverage? Great question. Um, and you're right. We have been doing a lot in this area, um, the most since we launched around just building awareness, not of the marketplace, but of what's coming. So we actually started a year ago uh, because at that point we didn't know when the continuous coverage requirements would end. And we wanted to do everything we could to get people, you know, focused on this and what they could do at the time, which was update their contact information, uh, which is key. We know a lot of people moved over the last couple of years and we want to still be able to reach them when it is time to renew. And we also want them to know that there will be something they need to do to keep their coverage. So we've been out there advertising. Hopefully your listeners have seen these ads. 
Um, and so that's the messaging that we've been doing for quite some time now um, uh, with a public education campaign. And we will shift gears as we've been talking about now that we're moving into this redetermination phase. We'll tell the messaging will change uh, to tell people when you hear from us, you need to take action to keep your coverage. So that's sort of how we're doing the paid advertising piece of things. And the other part that we've been doing, and we've been very active and engaged, of course, coordinating with Amir and Lisa, because this is not just New York State of Health, this is the districts too. Um, there's a number of consumer education materials that we have been developing, fact sheets, social media posts, posters, um, we've been po uh, call scripts, anything we can think of that we think would be helpful for our partners to be telling people what they need to do and when and how to, you know, how to contact us, whether it's through our customer service center, the enrollment assisters that Lisa referenced, how to check what their renewal date is, things of that nature. So it's been a very robust public education and awareness campaign. And I'll mention what we are referring to as our digital toolkit on New York State of Health's website and also the Medicaid website. Um, if you go to newyorkstateofhealth.ny.gov and enter anything um, related to this online public health emergency, you will come to this page that we've dedicated and we continue to update where we put all of these fact sheets and consumer education materials. So I just want to make sure people know that that's there and we encourage people to use it. We've been talking with various stakeholders, whether it's plans, whether it's uh, health centers, our delegation, you know, anywhere people would call with questions about this to make sure they're armed with the same information and people know what to do and where to go. So it's been quite an effort and it'll, it'll continue, but this is an all hands on deck kind of operation. The other thing we've been doing, and we're grateful that there's been some foundation support and money out there to our enrollment assisters to support the outreach effort, because that is key. Um, we need to be arming them with the, these materials and supporting them in that effort in the community. So we're trying to engage with every partner we can think of to spread the word and extend our reach. So that's what we've been doing on the public education front. No, that's great. That's pretty extensive. Um, and there is a lot of information out there. One of the things that I've read, and, and let me be clear about this, it's not about New York. It's actually about some states in the South. But I had heard that they're reinstating new requirements related to obtaining Medicaid coverage. Just wanted to check and make sure whether New York is contemplating any of these new requirements or not. So I can take that one, Courtney. I mean, I think I... I know the states you're referring to, and I can tell you definitively, we are not employing the same strategies as they are. Um, there will not be new requirements imposed on behalf of Medicaid members to retain their eligibility. We've actually been proactive in the last 12 to 24 months in anticipation of the unwind in trying to align some of our eligibility levels across populations to ensure that uh, as we go through this process, that we maintain eligibility uh, to the greatest degree possible. Uh, and some of those things we did in last year's budget, increasing the income levels for all adults to 138% of the federal poverty level, expanding the Medicare savings program, eliminating premiums in the Child Health Plus program, um, all actions taken to, to mitigate disruption as we go through this process. So there will not be new uh, impositions on our members. We tried to employ a strategy that 
is as facilitating and maintain coverage as possible. That's why, as Lisa said, we're keeping the cycle the same and we're keeping people on the on their same enrollment cycle. We've leveraged some of the efficiencies we've gained through the PHE by keeping members in the New York State of Health um, to ease the burden on districts as they go through this process. So there's no um, unanticipated increases in volume of, of potential uh, applicants or renewals. So we've really taken a much different approach than those states in the South. And uh, I think our federal partners appreciate that. That's very helpful to know, and thank you for clarifying that. We've covered a lot today. I really appreciate all the details that each of you have provided on the rollout, uh, the eligibility determinations, what this means for the state financially, what you're doing to market. So is there anything we haven't covered today that you think our listeners should know about the public health unwinding as it relates to public insurance coverage? I think Danielle mentioned this earlier, but we can't stress enough how important it is and how much we want people to come back. If their address has changed or their email address has changed or their phone number has changed, if any of their contact information has changed, we really um, want that information because it's our desire that no one come out of this without insurance and that everybody um, either maintain the coverage that they're in or if they're eligible for something else that we can get them into it. Great. Danielle, anything else you want to add? Well, I'll just remind everybody about the materials and the website where they can go, um, newyorkstateofhealth.ny.gov, and search for public health emergency, search for unwind. But there is a host of materials there, how-to videos, fact sheets, et cetera. So we would just encourage people to make use of those and help us spread the word. We, we as everybody here has said, our goal here is that people retain coverage. We don't want to see an increase in our uninsured rates in the state of New York. Great. Well, Danielle, Lisa, and Amir, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for the work that you're doing, and best of luck with the unwind over these next few months. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks again to Courtney Burke, Amir Basiri, Danielle Hollihan, and Lisa Sabrata for sharing what they are doing to prepare for the public health emergency unwinding and how they are working to keep millions of New Yorkers informed about their health insurance coverage and provide continued services. If you'd like to learn more about these pending changes, please visit nystateofhealth.ny.gov. There you will find additional information about New York Medicaid, Child Health Plus, and the Essential Plan, and any changes as it relates to the public health emergency expiration. While there, you will have the opportunity to update your contact information and find assistance to determine your health insurance needs. If you like this episode, please rate, subscribe, and share. It will help others find the podcast and help us deliver the latest in public policy research. All of our episodes are available for free wherever you stream your podcast, and transcripts are available on our website. Special thanks to Rockefeller Institute staff Joel Torado, Heather Trella, and Laura Schultz for their contributions to this episode. Thanks for listening. I'm Alex Morse. Until next time.
Policy Outsider is presented by the Rockefeller Institute of Government, a public policy research arm of the State University of New York. The Institute conducts cutting-edge, nonpartisan public policy research and analysis to inform lasting solutions to the challenges facing New York State and the nation. Learn more at rockinst.org or by following at RockefellerInst, that's Rockefeller, I-N-S-T, on social media. Have a question, comment, or idea? Email us at communications at rock.suny.edu.